Welcome to the Behind the Damn Screen podcast. Yeah, that's what we are. And it is April, so I figured out the month ahead of time and then forgot the name of the show. <laughs> awesome. Nice. Uh, and we are three DMs talking about our games, helping each other out, and that's the intro you get. Uh, Mike is up first. Or maybe we, Mike, who are you? Let's do quick introductions for any new listeners. Uh, I'm Mike Shea. I run Sly Flourish. Sam, who are you? I'm Sam Dillon. I run RPG Musings. And I'm Jeff Greiner, your uh, Tome producer? Yeah, well, call me a producer. You run the Tome show. I run the Tome show, and everybody else plays in my playground. That's right. So that's that's the world, and I've changed our timer sound, and I'm going to leave it as a surprise. And Mike, you're up first. I'm putting 15 minutes on the clock, and go. Awesome. So I've been playing a ton of games over the past couple of weeks. We had a DC game day here where I ran... A uh, fate accelerated game. DC game day, be- meaning not DC superheroes, but Washington DC. No, Washington DC game day. Yeah, there's okay. about <laughs> you know, 50 or 60 people that get together and play games over a weekend. Uh, it's uh, downtown, right by Union Station, and it's an awesome time. And uh, I ran. I what did I run? I ran uh, Fate Accelerated, uh, and I think 13th Age. And uh, I rec- had a good time. I recently folk. bought Thirteenth Age because it was only ten bucks over t- yeah, tabletop weekend. That was a that was a hell of a deal. And yeah, I bought it. It's, it's really really good. And it's you know even if you decide like you like it and you want a hard copy, it's always nice to have that PDF around too. Um, so primarily, I've been playing Thirteenth Age, and what I wanted to talk about tonight was my Thirteenth Age game. And what's interesting and kind of makes me wish I'd been paying attention for like the last half a year uh, <laughs> is the fact that I'm now one of the, uh, you know, I'm running this open ended sandbox sort of game where they're kind of wandering around and I've been kind of looking for bits and pieces of modules and adventures to sort of throw into places. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones that caught my eye is one I bought a while ago on, on your recommendation, but hadn't really done anything with, with, which is uh, the return to the temple of elemental evil. <laughs> And it makes me wish that I had read it before listening to you talk about it mm. because I thought that it was kind of based on the original Temple of Elemental Evil more so than it is. No, it's, no, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole like – Yeah. The original one was just sort of a, a barely a touchstone on the larger plot and this is a whole – there's a whole bigger thing going on. Right, right. So one of the one of the main elements that's been going on in my 13th Age game is that there's this, uh, this source of anti-life called the Dark – which is this like it's not even undead it's not even like necrotic energy it is the absolute void of life completely and it's malevolent you know and it, it sort of fits like the atharsian idea it's yeah but it, it's, it, it's got a it has a consciousness of a sort right oh okay and but, so it's but it it's is beyond, an entity it is an entity but it's beyond any co- you know conscious comprehension uh, you like it can talk to people, but like it when it does so, it does so at a much lower level than than people are normally than it can can speak. If that makes any sense, and it's not supposed to make a lot of sense. It's supposed to be kind of a Cthulhuian craziness. And okay. well, uh, I thought you were going uh, DC Comics again. I don't know. Dark side, who's always looking for the anti-life equation. Come on. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, not familiar. Sorry. Because uh, really, because you, it's the dark and it's anti-life. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Who'd have guessed? I guess you know. Good ideas. Great right? minds, right? So you, um, you and I think it was Jack Kirby. Yeah, there you go. So uh, when I was reading through uh, Return to Temple of Elemental Evil, it had a lot of these sort of temples with these obelisks and stuff in them. Mm-hmm. And I've been throwing these these ideas known as dark geodes, which are these sort of crystalline constructs that um, are sort of the man- the physical manifestation of the dark. 
and they're sort of all connected together and the malevolence sort of exists among all of these things. And, uh, but I, but I haven't really defined them very much. And when I saw that parallel in, in return to temple of elemental evil, I said, Oh, this, this works well. And I really like that sort of, um, uh, the big crater with the, with the spire in the center mm-hmm. of it and all the walkways that kind of head that Just direction. Yeah, and I said that I have a place on my my map that I drew out called Everburn, which is where, if you recall, there was a a big battle with the former uh, Archmage, who is now the Lich King, and uh, the rumor has it that the he pulled the moon down and scraped against the earth, and that was how he defeated the White. I, be- the, I believe I have a picture of that. You drew, you drew a wonderful, <laughs> yes, and uh, the so the deepest spot was a of the part that pierced through the surface of the world and touched down into hell called Everburn. And I thought, you know, having that spire sort of place right in the center of that deep pit would be perfect. So I, I kind of put it there and the party just learned about this. And, uh, I, I have a feeling that that, you know, and they might go there and they might say, yeah, you know, much like they've done almost every other adventure. Nah, never mind. We're going to go to that other place, <laughs> which, you know, sure. Cause you know, I didn't do anything right. I had an idea and that's it. Anyway, a question that I have is what are the, you know, so I'm using uh return to temple of elemental evil as, as, as a toolkit. Like I, I'm, you know, they're right now they're in the bottom of the uh, moat house dungeon, but I've totally reskinned it. And now it's sitting underneath a temple of, uh, Knowledge and wisdom. Okay, and that's because there's a spire down there that they're that they're on their way to go see. Which and, there, which there is. Yeah, there. Is, that's right. That's that's why. Yeah. So so that that fits. And what I like is that these things are getting bigger every time they see them. So like they saw one, it was handheld, and now they're seeing one, and it's like two stories high. Mm-hmm. And then there's the one that's in the center of the chasm, and it's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not following the storyline at all, and I have my own sort of bad guys and factions that are involved in this thing. So given given that how given how I'm using it, what are the elements of that adventure you think I should really pay special attention to, and what parts could I throw away? So are you still going to do the elemental temples? No. Okay. Well, I, maybe, but I'll probably you know probably not because I don't want it to be Temple of Elemental Evil, right? I want it I want it to focus on the idea of the dark, and I I might have those kind of in there, but it's not sort of this. Well, but that, and that's sort of the that's sort of part of the big swerve of the whole thing anyway is that. The whole time you think it's these elemental temples, but the elemental temples were always just a front for Thera's done, which is kind of the D and D equivalent of of your concept yeah, of the dark, it, right? Right, right. It's perfect. Although so, m- most you know, people in my group know about Thera's Dune, so sure. Well, and and honestly, the the players in in Temple of Element and Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil can figure out pretty quickly that it, that it's actually Thera's done, and then laugh at all the bad guys because they still think it's this other thing. Right. It's it's kind of got a Scientology thing going on, right? <laughs> Very few people in the in the cult actually know that it's there is done. Right. Um so one of the one of the things No offense to any of our fans who may be No offense to Tom Cruise. That well I don't care about offending him, well, but any of our actual listeners who are is that is that not a, a, an established and, and well admitted part of Scientology that that you don't learn more of the secrets of Scientology until you get further along? Uh, it's not that. It it's the, the way, the way you said it was, was <laughs> the way you, you yeah well sure. that but the, the the way you said it was relatively dismissive sure, and suppose. offensive. You know, if you said that about any other mainstream religion, someone would be. Screaming, oh, look at so. you with the mainstream all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, well, I'm just I, I'm not a Scientologist for the record, but I'm just. <laughs> Good call. Good call. I apologize. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so 
See, I'm going to talk about Christians when during my segment, so, so we'll say we'll, be, like, we'll be offensive later. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess the parts that really worked for me in the temple is that it encourages um, the the creatures being proactive, mm-hmm. right? So so that that allowed me to, to work out a lot of things really well. First of all, it meant that nothing was living in a, in a monster closet. Right, you know, and and it was designed to be. Hey, you go in, you do this thing, you kill some stuff, whatever, and then you, you know, you can't go through the whole thing without going back and resting at some point. Right, uh, and so when you do, there's actually mechanics in the book for, and this is how many bad guys they recruit to to, to come back and replace what was killed. Right, right, and so. I also enjoyed – so then beyond that, I also moved things around. I brought in a dwarven faction, and so they were clearing out parts of the temple when the players weren't. And so not only were the bad guys proactive, but the other NPCs were proactive. Right. Uh, and, and that also allowed me to make things go a lot faster mm-hmm. you know, in a way that still drove the story home and made the players really important mm-hmm. um, because it meant that – I didn't have to go through the drudgery of actually watching them clear out all what was it three hundred rooms of the crater yeah. rooms, right? Right. Um, and then by the time we got to the end, and, and they're going up against the the big bad villain at the end, um, I didn't actually have them go through that whole little domain of his uh, to f- hunt him down and kill him. I had him come out to them because they went and rested r- right before they were going to go in. Well, why, right. why is he going to stay put? The whole point of him being there is to get out. Right. And, and, you know, so he comes out and they, and they face him somewhere else. And it meant that I got to skip all of that and move th- things through a, a lot faster, but still sort of tell the story that, that it was meant to tell. Right. You know, uh, I think you could probably keep the elemental temples if you wanted to maybe reskin them as something else or whatever. So um, you say the elemental temples, but it doesn't, it, I mean, just looking at the maps, it looks like the fire one is the only one it really outlines. No, no, no. All, all four of them are outlined. They are, but, okay. But they're not, um, they're not all right next to each other or anything like that. Okay. So, you know, the main entrance is – and there's certain areas in between. There's wild areas that's not controlled by anybody. Uh, there's an area that's controlled by a bunch of orcs that, that were slaves and escaped. Um, you know, there's an area that, that in the wild that's controlled by a dragon. The main entrance is, is held by a neutral sort of party that, that, so everybody gets access in and out of the temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so there's space in between too. Um, so yeah, so so that all works, and I think you could you could do something similar, uh, and maybe if you don't want to do it as elemental sort of uh, gauge or, or or as a storyline or whatever, um, you can use some of the the more evil factions or whatever that might at least at the surface align with this this entity, the dark, which is filling in for Thera's done right, right. Right. So maybe maybe it's not the temple, the water temple. Maybe it's the Lich King's temple or whatever. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the and the whole purpose behind it all was always that those were always distractions, and it sort of got this this Darwinistic sort of survival of the fittest to the extreme. You know, the cult wanted the temples to be killing each other and warring with each other constantly because that means only the strongest would survive. Right. Which also meant right. the challenge was big when the players came through. Right? right, so you could integrate some of that in there as well. Whether you reskin it as different factions or whatever. Well, I have yeah. So I have three factions right now that are that you know two of which were chosen. Well, okay, two of which were directly chosen by the players when they decided on their icons, and that's the three and the um, Lich King. 
And they a lot of them pick Lich King, which means when they do icon rolls, they're they're hitting Lich King a lot. So I think that the Lich King is kind of the main antagonist in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but another antagonist is the Dark itself, and this these these guys I made up called you know the the, the cult of the Dark, which I call the Dark Dreamers because I think they're they're called something else. Do- Doom Dreamers. Doom Dreamers, right? So I just said Dark Dreamers, right? And it's mm-hmm. this. And what I love is like you know it's a cult that's so crazy that like he's saying things about how life is the you know life is the abomination of what really should exist, which is nothing. And like one of the party members is like that doesn't even make sense. Like what are you saying? Like you know, and the mm-hmm. cultist is like you don't understand. And they like, oh no, think about it for a minute. You know, so they're having fun with the idea that they can't even possibly comprehend the philosophy that these guys have. Absolutely. Well, and, and they shouldn't. Right. Right. And that yeah. So that makes it a lot of fun. Um, and, but the one thing I'm doing is, is even like the Lich King. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very possible that the Lich King and the three have sort of base of operations here, but they haven't really been here that long. And they're trying to dig into this stuff as much as anybody mm-hmm. is. Right. So, well, and I can see, I can see it's it, kind of a three-way race and I could even see it being an offshoot or maybe it is, maybe it is a three-way race and there, and that replaces the, the four temples. And instead right. you have three and right. it's, it's not a temple, it's a base camp. And they've each taken over this area that has a, an altar that's connected to, you know, your geodes or crystals or whatever. Right. Because they, I mean, that there are, are altars there that have those sort of connections. And right. then you could even do, you know, I, like I pulled some, some, some weird stuff where I had Asmodeus teaming up with one of the players. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Because because, because even the big bads of the world don't want this thing to destroy everything. Because then there's nothing for them to conquer. Yeah, right. Well, so I have yeah, I have two other plots, and I think both of these are are now known to the players. One of which is that the Lich King wants to tap this energy. Right, mm-hmm. there's this there's this this you know negative energy out there, and you know the Lich King thinks he can tap this and use it. Right, he can siphon it. And the three thinks that they might be able to use this to resurrect the White who was killed here. Mm. And the dark wants to just release it completely and wipe out all of life, you know, mm-hmm. all of life on 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 you know on the planet. Sure. And they're all, you know, and then the, I don't even know what the players want to do yet. And and that's actually part of my problem is I don't even really know what those things are in my world. Like I don't, you know, one of the like one of the things I'm trying to noodle through is okay, there's these big crystals. What the hell are they? And what do they mm-hmm. what do they do? And well, how do they act? And, and and you never you're, you're sorry. No, as I say, go ahead. You're waiting for the players to do something so you can figure out what yeah. fits their I mean, reactions best. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like that actually happened. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm guessing they haven't listened. They, right. I will. I will <laughs> instruct them all not to listen to this. Yeah. But like one thing is is I had an idea about how these things were being siphoned, and then they went into a room, and there was this obelisk in the room that was to me was just an environmental effect like it was this crazy black obelisk that was fueled with dark energy and and the evil evil cultists they were actually it was a lich king uh necromancer that they were fighting was using it to get advantage on attacks and i just wanted it as kind of a fun little mechanical effect and they were like ooh i bet that's the siphon like that's the that's like the you know the tap that's into the geode below and i was like ooh i yes it is <laughs> yeah. right I do that all the time. Yeah, so I, so part of me is right. It's that idea of leaving blanks. Like it's okay if I don't know what these things are yet because they'll find out. But then other parts of me are like, am I just afraid of commitment? You know, am I just afraid of defining these as something because then I'm stuck with having to have those 
be that way. Well, and if you're gonna well, if you're gonna know. do depending on how closely you want to take from the the, the tomb, not not close right because I'm, the tomb has I mean not not it doesn't outright define it so much as. It just sort of says these are these giant sort of things that Thera's done had spinning through the cosmos and sent down to Earth. So they're basically just meteorites, right? Ooh, and I'm done. <laughs> uh, so they're basically just meteorites, but they do these weird things. Like the one in the the main sort of crater that you're talking about, uh, the giant one. They actually drink a special potion so they can go inside of it, and they just sort of float yeah. around inside incorporeally yeah. and, and go yeah. insane. And it helps them commune with, you know, yeah. in your case, the dark, right? Right. Um, and I've got an idea. I've got an idea for that as well. Yeah, which is there's something else that's been trapped there for a long time. Something, yeah. something that other people want. And them, like, them going in and out could cause all kinds yeah. of problems. Like Release it. Yeah. So, so yeah. I have right. There's lots of neat things. But yeah, maybe that. Yeah, that there's small gateways. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're they're tears. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're rifts between worlds. And in some cases, they could be prisons, and they could be all kinds of things. Yeah. And the moon el- the, the moon elves who lived here previously, they used these. You know, they just they were they had such a high tap on magic. Ooh, I got to talk about one other thing real quick. Okay, I know my time is tight, but I'll, the one That's thing fine. that I added to this that I really like, I've been I've been working on a construct recently to randomly generate mundane magical items, and mm. the reason I did this is that Thirteenth Age is actually not very good at at having like random lists of magic items. They either have very powerful magic items that you're supposed to hand create for each PC that means a lot to them. Uh, and then they have these like runes, potions, and oils. Well, it seems like all I'm doing is dishing out runes, potion, and oils all the time. Hmm. And I just feel like the, the PCs have bags of these things and aren't really using them. And they're not all that exciting. So I wanted to have some other kind of magical element that is useful to them, but not necessarily powerful. And what I created was this whole series of, of randomly generated, um, and, and yeah, randomly generated items, and they are former moon elf artifacts. Uh, I'm I'm pulling up the thing now, so I can give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, so an example is uh, a pristine elemental bell that lets the user drain energy, and the user becomes tired. Right? It has a, you know th- three things that describe the item itself. Uh, a main power that the user can activate and a detriment for doing so. Mm-hmm. A delicate orcish rod that protects the user from spells and shakes vigorously. Warm orcish hammer that increases the user's intelligence and the user's eyes glow to- go totally black. So mm-hmm. they last for either one time or for five minutes and then they're, they wear out and then they're mm-hmm. done and you throw them away. And the idea is I can completely riddle the ground with these things and say these are old moon elf artifacts and and people can use them but that's that's been a fun thing and i just used them last night for the first time and already i had players who were like i want to change my character to be like somebody who investigates these things <laughs> right on yeah nice. so yeah. not really but yeah yeah one of the things i did uh when i ran the the tomb originally was um and i think i got it got this idea from somebody who was on the show um that we interviewed for something maybe it was an advice episode in fact i want to say maybe it was sean sean merwin talking about organized play um but the idea was when you give out magic items to actually print them out on cards. Yeah, right. Uh, and and mm-hmm. I, not only did I do that, but I printed it, printed them out on cards with stats. But then I also found a picture online. Yeah. To, to use for it, and I gave them all names. So it wasn't yeah. just a plus one warhammer; it was skull crusher or you know whatever. Right. <laughs> and I would I would very much do that for the main items. For these, I'm yeah. throwing them out so fast. Like I I gave away five last night. Yeah. 
and and they used one like right away and yeah. you know so then it's gone so i'm not even sure it's worth mm-hmm. printing sure um but yeah i know about halfway through i, I couldn't keep up anymore and i stopped right. doing it and, and right. i really and, and i think that, i think i and they really missed it like they really liked the idea some of yeah. them anyway really bought into sure. the sure. idea of i don't have a a, a battle axe i have you know, yeah. goblin cleaver or whatever. Right, right. Gloom fan. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm I'm a magic item Scrooge. So when they get a magic item and they <laughs> <Matters>. <laughs> rea- and they realize that it's like this is a named artifact. Right. Like this is something that has historic significance in the game world, and oh my god, it's powerful. Yeah. Well, part, part of care about it. Part yeah. of me not being able to keep up with it was the the translation of a third edition adventure mm-hmm. into next. Sure. Right? Next, oh, yeah. I could have done that and kept up, but. Mm. I was trying to run a lot of the creatures and, and the adventure sort of as is just to see how well that works. And and here's what I learned. They end up with way more magic items than they're supposed to have <laughs> because third edition, yeah. you needed a lot of magic items just to keep up mechanically. So, All right. Well, wait, can I say one more thing about Mike's thing? You're allowed to say on? one more thing. Okay. Um, this is regarding the, the, the comment you made about whether you – you don't know if it's that you don't want to commit or not. Right. Um, I have a, I had a similar problem in my last game that the campaign that just ended, um, because I, I was letting the players drive a lot of the action because it was all very sandboxy. But what I had to do was pick like three things that I defined at, like I knew who the main villain, who the identity of the main. So the p- part of it was there was. Uh, the identity of the main villain they didn't know who the person kept like slipping away from them and they didn't really know who it was they knew a name but they didn't they couldn't identify that person in a lineup because they'd never officially seen them Mm. at which was kind of a major feat to done but to get Mm. done but anyway so uh I I knew who that was, and so they spent a lot of time in game trying to figure out who it is, and I knew who that was. So I defined that thing, and there were a couple of other things that I defined. And everything else, I, I sort of started out with a vague idea in my head, and I let their ideas sort of percolate, and then I let you know hearing about their ideas, and you know because that tells you what they think is cool. So mm-hmm. I think it's yeah, better right, to just right. leave a little bit, a, a lot undefined. And, and ha- but right. the way to deal with that and, and not feel like you're just sort of afraid to commit is pick like four things that are absolutely not non-negotiable. Like you know that that is the right. fact about that That's thing. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> thing like, is true regardless <laughs> of all else. Just, and then, <laughs> you know, other than that, then, you know, you won't seem wishy-washy. You know, like I always feel like, oh, if I seem like I'm not committing, I'm going to seem wishy-washy. Yeah. Or it's yeah. good. But, but that's not actually how it comes off to the players. Right, right. That's that, – and then, you know, I mean I wrote a book about it, so you'd think I'd be more secure. <laughs> yes, well, but, no, I mean that's – you know. All right. Every time I feel like I'm – like any day they'd be like, you're just making this up. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I really am. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> well, isn't that you know? kind of what, what you do? I, I mean, guess. Right. It's an RPG, and, right? <laughs> and I know it. And I just – I feel like I'm cheating every time. Like every, you know, ever since doing this, I feel like I'm cheating. And it's funny because I actually just wrote a, I was, I was queuing up DM tips today. And one of them was, you know, there's no such thing as fact or truth in your D&D game. You know, let the players can change truth all the time. So mm-hmm. it actually, right. you know, but, mm-hmm. but you're right. Like maybe I'll feel more grounded if at least I have three things I can hang on to. Well, and, like, and, but that's I, true. That's true. That's true. Damn it. You know, but I, but I understand <laughs> what you say about feel like you feel like you're cheating too, because sometimes you'll throw something at them and it ends up being really challenging and they feel like, oh, well, you just did this to, you know, you just made this up on the fly. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, luckily I'm not having yeah. the mechanics of 13th nature so great that I'm, I'm not having any trouble with the challenge either yeah. way. Like, 
battles are happening really fast. But every time I'm like, every time I look down, I'm like, wow, you killed like one knoll in one shot. And then like yeah. two others, and they're like, "Yeah, but I'm almost dead." So <laughs> right, like, yeah, it re- it really sucks when they look at you and they think like you're punishing us for like right, you did yeah. you came up with this because you're punishing us for you know, and it's like no, not I'm really. Just I'm just to tell a good you know, story, guys. I swear. Yeah, you, no, you're I, the I, one I, that decided to go that. to the cave. You know. <laughs> yeah, I fix that by making sure they know exactly when I am punishing them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah. So there's no yeah, there's no ambiguity. Right on. All right. Well, some of that advice will come in useful when I get to mine because uh, I'm running. A, I'm going to be running a game soon that involves a lot of um, you know filling in the blanks as you go. Mm-hmm. A lot of BS. That's what I hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's not my turn. It's Sam's turn. I'm putting, oh, it's my turn. I'm putting your 15 minutes on the clock. Go. Okay. So, uh, as I just stated, my my basic D and D game that I I actually talked to you guys about last time about not knowing what I was going to do with the the orcs and and taking over the pillar and all that stuff. Uh, that I just had the final session of that game last week, and the, the campaign is over. And um, s- about half of the PC party survived out of out of uh, nine starting characters. Well, out of twelve starting characters, about six are are still alive. Um, but three of those came in kind of later. So, um, and it was a lot of fun. What I ended up doing was I, I had the orcs take over the pillar that we had talked about, but then I had, um, I had it so that they, their presence actually transmitted a, a disease, an illness to, to human or other humanoid species, um, that, of course, humans and elves and dwarfs and halflings did not have a natural defense to, whereas it, it didn't kill the orcs. It just made them sick for a while and then they got over it. Um, but any human or, or demi-human uh, exposed to it c- could either get really sick and die or would become a carrier and therefore would carry that that plague elsewhere. Um, and so they had this really cool – some very cool role-playing and, and trying to figure out that you know when the, once they realized, oh, crap, you know we're really sick and we got to figure out what to do. And then they went back to their own pillar and then they figured out what they had done in the very beginning that completely messed up. Like it opened a rift and they had to go close it again. And it, so it was a really awesome ending and I wanted to thank you guys for your advice that you gave me because I hadn't decided really what to do and, and really talking about it and all that really helped solidify that. Um, but what I really want to talk about this time is the fact that so now I'm about to start a new game, and uh, they really want to do an evil game, a, a game with an evil party. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to run them a second edition game, and you know I'm sort of sitting here, you know, just letting the ideas kind of percolate, and uh, it's 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 really hard to run an evil game actually uh it's probably going to be a relatively short campaign um but i i i kind of am trying to figure out how i want to do it and and so what i'm thinking is going to happen is there there is an evil deity who um of course wants to take over the world and have power and enslave everyone and all that all that sort of general thing that you associate with an evil deity um, but one of the things that this evil deity has realized is that the the elves in the world are very powerful because they um, they embody a lot of magic just naturally. Even even ones who don't perform magical feats uh, can still you know they still just have a magic about them. So he the evil god has decided that um, he needs to do two things. Number one, he needs to destroy all the elves, and number two, he needs to convince or or 
maybe convinces a little light, but he needs to he needs to make sure that everyone understands that um, it's no longer a polytheistic world; it's a monotheistic world or universe, maybe I should say. So uh, he is the only god, and he is the all important god, and all the other gods do not exist, and he is has destroyed them, and so he should be the one that's worshipped. So he's trying to transition his his followers and people who don't yet follow him on this on on this planet you know or on this world uh is, is this are, are you uh assuming a conceit where uh, faith equals power like the more followers that god has the more powerful they are no okay so no, so so by convincing yeah. everybody to f- worship him he's not killing off the other gods no, he. But that—that's what. That's um, so he has to convince them that he's already done so. So it will not help. So in this world, the gods have uh, the gods can choose to. <clears throat> excuse me. The gods can choose to have a personal hand in in what's going on on the material plane. So they can send an avatar down, or they can actually uh, polymorph themselves into the the form of a, of a civilized creature and walk amongst the people. Sure. Um, and that's – it's up to them whether they do or they can completely ignore the people, whatever. And so you know, it, it's sort of like the ancient Romans believed, you know, oh, it's a, it's a, a bad year for the crops. We, you know, we must have done something to piss off the, the queen of agri- – or the god of agriculture and, right. oh, if, if, if we're going to go to war, to, we need to get the favor of, of Mars or Apollo or you know, whichever pantheon you're talking about. And that's the kind of thing that there is here where there are a, a large portion of the population believe in multiple gods and m- different gods are Responsible for different parts of life. Portfolios. So, right. So it's a it's a completely polytheistic society right now. All, all of the civilized lands that the players are going to explore is completely polytheistic. So, the evil god's plan is to turn it from a polytheistic area to a monotheistic area mm-hmm. by complete domination. But he can only do that if he destroys the elves. Mm-hmm. So, and so that's sort of the baseline. <laughs> So I have a I have a couple of questions because sure. I've, I've you know I've never I've ran dark campaigns but I don't think mm-hmm. I ever ran evil campaigns. Mm-hmm. I've, um, I've I've started or been part of the beginnings of many evil campaigns, yeah, but ev- right. but eventually it ends up with the players <laughs> like, killing each other because you know what they're all evil. Why not? <laughs> right. right. Well, so and here's the thing though about that. So they have some one of the requirements of of character creation is that no one can be chaotic evil. They either have they have, they have to be lawful evil. So if they give their word, they are bound by their word. Hmm. So if you choose to adventure with a group of of people, even if they're also evil, you can't just stab them in the back because you're not going to do something just because it's purely selfish. But that's actually one of the issues is that I have to make this so that they have a reason to still be bound by honor to the other party members. Bound bound by something. Bound by something. Well, if you can be honor, honor, there's got to be a reason not to kill each other right. i mean you think of jane uh jane from mm-hmm. firefox right. right you know right. bound by money and well, but that, was, that works because there's only one of them now i mean if everybody's bound right. yeah right money, they're all yeah, that yeah, yeah. then they That's, still end up yeah. fighting over right. it you know i play, right. i played so, an evil character yeah. in an evil campaign where eventually it came down to who insulted who the most and who just couldn't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it still comes down to a party fight because they're evil. Right. And when that's how you resolve things when you're a horrible evil oh, person, shit. you know, like you have insulted right. my honor and even though I'm awful good, I'm still going to kill you. Right. Um, so one, so one, an interesting thing though, is like having an evil. And then the other side is like, is everybody just in the room uncomfortable when one of the party members decides to walk around slaying a village full of innocent people. And 
Well, yeah. You know. So I, re- I re- addressed that with them. Yeah. Because I, I told them, you know, if you're really going to do this, this, this isn't like, this is not going to be a story where, you know, you go around being evil and then all of a sudden, oh, you found the good in the world and you're going to transform and uh, that's not happening. Like so if what? we're going to do an evil campaign, you're, you're going to be doing some really evil stuff. Yeah. And okay. you ha- that has to be okay with everyone. Right. Right. That's, yeah. I mean, I would, it, it seems- I would draw a line, you know, I, I couldn't do that. But, but one thing I, I do kind of like, and, you know, I'm thinking about stories and there's, there's a, a, a story by uh, Sanderson called Mistborn. Have you read Mistborn? Ever heard of it? No, I've heard of it. I haven't read so it. So it's, you know, typical, San, you know, Brandon Sanderson book where mm-hmm. it's a crazy magic system. But one of the themes of the book is like, what if it was 200 years after Sauron won? Right. You know, and what would the world look like then? And, you know, Gandalf, he's been dead for, you know, 200 years. And right. the elves were wiped out 150 years ago. There is no good left in the world. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the best people are slaves and everyone else is worse than that. <laughs> right. So right, like, right. It, it, it basically says like, yeah, you're evil and you're still the nicest people in this place. Right. It's almost, it's almost dark sun. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And this one, it's like, a yeah, right. Dark sun would actually be a great place to do something like that mm-hmm. where like, mm-hmm. you know, only those who are truly out for themselves at all times would even have an opportunity to survive in the world. Well, um, see, so that, that's actually what, what, where my question or my actual thing that I was going to ask you about, because the thing is that I have, I mean, you know, they're going to start out low level. So there, there's going to be some sort of basic plots that they're going to have to deal with, right? You know, they're going to be hunted by some good paladins. They're going to have to wipe out, you know, some sort of the head of some, you know, monastic order or something. I mean, just some general things like that that are going to happen. But the question is, has, is the tyranny of, of this of this evil deity in whatever form it manifests itself in this region has it already occurred and are the players just pcs in that world and they're they're going to try to get power and and become the best servants of that god so that they can get more power and wealth and all that mm-hmm. or are they going to be agents of the tyranny where they're sort of like crusaders here's where i come in with the whole christian thing uh are are they going to be like the Crusaders, where they truly believe that what they're doing is the right thing, and they're going to go through and try to convert everyone to this new monotheistic belief system? Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe it, we're going to slaughter you. Here, here's, has, here's, has, here's the story that occurs to me as I'm listening: um, that the the deity, the evil deity, has not already won, but he's winning. And the mm-hmm. one thing stopping him from winning is the elves, right? That's your your big thing. And, That's the basic premise, yeah. Right, and so then. At the same time, like the obvious sort of keeping them all together thing is that, you know, is that God, right? The direct intervention Mm -hmm. of that God. And maybe you don't do it right away. You know, maybe they're all followers of that God or whatever, and they're trying, you know, their success will determine whether or not that God does take over the world or not, Mm -hmm. uh, and whether the world becomes monotheistic or not, and all that. And that's fine. Um, But then hold back on the direct intervention right up until the point that it looks like there is going to be a party fight. You know, at the point that it looks like mm-hmm. all of this is starting to break down, all of a sudden God shows up in the middle of the campfire and <laughs> says, "Whoa, yeah. you know, stop! Yeah. I need you for this mission." You know, and that, <laughs> you know. but so, but my question is, is so, so you're right. I mean, I get that. That's that's actually a really good idea. Um, but the the question is, at the on the in the very first session, you know. When I set up, you know, the premise of this world, and they already know that they're going to be, you know, trying to do this elven 
destruction thing. They're going to decimate the elves or, or, you know, yeah, the genocide, elven genocide. So they already know that that's part of the storyline because I already told them you cannot be an elf. You, you, your PC cannot be an elf. You know, there are certain restrictions on your character creation for this game and you can't be an elf. Uh, so they know that. But the question is, how far gone is the world already? In other words, how much control does the evil deity already have. So in other words, are the players going to be sort of at the forefront of his beginning to take over the world or is the world already mostly his and they're just sort of trying to gain power within that I mean, it, 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 world that's it already feels there? Like, it feels like convincing the world that, 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 the, that religion is now monotheistic is a bit of a stretch unless you're a decent ways down that road, you know? Um, so mm-hmm. so I, I, it feels to me like the, this evil god is winning – at least in certain parts of the world, you know, maybe he hasn't dominated the entire world with this idea, mm-hmm. but he's but he's got a good good solid foothold. There are fringes left. Yeah, there's fringes. You know, the elves and maybe these paladin resistors or whatever. You know, I, I like I like the idea of the paladins that you mentioned. You know, being um, not not hunting them down, but being you know the freedom fighters, being the resistance against, mm-hmm. against the evil empire or whatever. Right. So, and whether or not there's a larger, you know. The, to take it to real world analogies, right? Maybe there, there's a United States somewhere across the ocean that's just trying to stay out of everybody else's problems, you know, being isolated and all that. That could theoretically turn the tide of this whole thing, you know, or maybe that's mm-hmm. the elves or whatever, right? But <laughs> maybe that time has passed. Yeah, um, maybe it's too late. Yeah. yeah. What is there an opportunity for a big flash forward? Could you start at one point and then have it jump 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years? And then restart sure. the campaign after, like you know. So they they kind of see the birth of this new god, or the avatar comes down. Well, they see the so, <laughs> beginning, and then it jumps, and now he's got right. a giant floating city that he well, what, resides. What's in. kind of funny about this is that's kind of what I'm already doing because what they did in the basic game mm-hmm. is they really messed up the world mm-hmm. because when they when they opened the rift, that what they did to close the rift didn't actually close the rift because when they – what they did to open the rift was actually just a, a power node and they activated it. And you can't really just turn it on and off like that. So they they didn't actually close – what they did was deactivate the node, but the rift was still open. Right. And so that's what sort of let in or, or maybe – it's not fully formed in my brain, but that's what sort of provided the power to to the evil god to get this idea that, okay, now is my time. Now is the time to take take control of this corruption that's overtaking the world and make it mine and, and complete my domination. Mm-hmm. And so they're already sort of fast-forwarding. A, a, I don't – I haven't decided how far yet from their last – you know, you know, I, I almost have a vision though game. that like session one starts with you know thinking it cinematically right starts with mm-hmm. a scene of the flying city and the god has already taken over the world and is and is surveying his his domain mm-hmm. and all that right uh, mm-hmm. and then flash back and and now let's see how we get to that point maybe you know um, right. and maybe it, maybe it's not you know a flash forward but maybe it's a vision that they have of the world that he wants to create or whatever but then you can also mess with them a little more because you could say you could have some random npc who looks just like that god did that god's avatar did in the future you know mm-hmm. and maybe it's not him maybe and maybe it will be you know a body that he possesses or whatever in the in the future right. or whatever but it just to mess with him you know, you better take this guy seriously he looks just like the god did in the future <laughs> yeah yeah maybe he's messing with you or maybe it's just jim but you never know <laughs> <laughs> have the uh, have have the players given you an idea of the kind of game they want to play do they want to play like oceans 11 
bad guys? Do they want to play, you know, seven samurai? Only the seven samurai are a bunch of bad guys. Uh oh, crickets. Um, I, I don't really know. I, I honestly, the one of the reasons I that I started this with it's probably going to be a short lived campaign is because I really think that they just <laughs> they just want to go around slaughtering things and have. Yeah. A DM who doesn't say, "Hey, you can't do that," <laughs> you right. know, Although you're, you're yeah. neutral, good, uh, uh, you're lawful, good. You, you wouldn't do that, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it's going to be fast and furious and fun, even though we're not playing Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and it's probably going to be two or three sessions. And although it might work really well and it might go for a long time, but and the first one uh, you said was basic, right? The first, the yeah, the campaign that just ended was basically. And now D&D. you're running it in second edition. Yeah, so because does, they does, they really want the character options, and so does that mean the next campaign will be the same world 500 years later, and it'll be third edition? Third edition, yeah. Um, I don't think I'll run third edition. <laughs> I, but I might. It. It, it, I, um, you know, I, 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 if I was going to do that, I'd skip right up to fourth. <laughs> okay. Is there a reason you're starting low level, and you wouldn't want to go ahead and start at fourth or fifth level? And no, give, I haven't actually made that decision meat. yet. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't made that decision yet. Yeah, particularly if it's a short-lived campaign, like the fourth to eighth right. level and second edition is a fun set, yeah. but it's kind of a slog getting and that, there. And that way, mm-hmm. they can, that way they can be, you know, the lieutenants in this in this right. deities. They're already brains, veterans. You know? Yeah, they're not the mooks. Well, and that and that's why I say I haven't really decided that yet because I I wasn't sure how far gone I wanted the region to be. Like, because you know, there's something if it was going to be. A long-standing campaign. There's something to be said about using the first three levels to really explore the world and sure. figure out, okay, what's going on? How does this place work? How is it different from what we know about the campaign world from before? Because we know lots of changes have happened. Mm-hmm. But if it's only going to really, I mean, granted, I say two or three sessions, but you realize our sessions are twelve hours long because mm-hmm. we only play once a month. So you know, we're we're talking about three or four months worth of game time. You know, worth of gaming time, but it's you know. Sessions that are relatively long, so a lot happens in these sessions. My basic game ran for about nine months, and we met, I think, ten times because one month we met twice, and it was twelve-hour sessions each time. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of stuff that went on. I mean, my my session report document is seventy pages. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a lot. I mean, of course, I write fairly detailed stuff. So you, you, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, but you keep going a campaign for a couple of years, you'll write a short novel. Yeah, no kidding. No <laughs> kidding. Unfortunately, I found that RPG games don't make for great no, novels. No, they don't. Not, yeah. ge- not generally. So, yeah. Cool. Right. But um, anyway. Look forward to hearing how it goes. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to having it go so that I can talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> right on. So my turn. Timer has started. Um, so I think since last time we talked, I have ended the Return to the Tomb of Elemental Evil. They've found the the bad guy. I think I, t- I mentioned in the in the last session that it was MX, so I won't bother to not spoil there. Right. Um, and they found – well, actually, that's then that's where I told you earlier, and I got a little bit of mine in, in Mike's time there, um, <laughs> that I, I used the proactivity of the bad guys to truncate the adventure, you know? Um, instead of letting them go to Emix's sort of lair and hunt through all of that and find him and deal with all of that, I just had Emix come out because the whole goal was for Emix to right. use this one specific altar to try to free Therizdun. Mm. You know, the, all the all the cultists were dead. He's not just going to sit there and wait in his closet, right? So right. next time they came down came down to, to find out how to get to him, he was just already out there, you know, <laughs> which was great because it's the biggest, most elaborate and cool looking map in the entire adventure anyway. I mean, the, the, the map itself, when you look at it from above, looks like a demon head. Mm. Um, and so I'm like, well, we'll just use that map for the big encounter. And then when Emix comes out, we'll just use that same map again. And Emix will be in here. 
mm-hmm. and that worked out really well. And so they, they you know, they defeated MX, um, and all that went down pretty smoothly. Um, and and I we had the right sacrifices in the right places, and it was a tough encounter. And you know, some people did the noble thing at the end, and and you know, sacrificed themselves for the greater good. And the crazy guy maintained his his insanity, but. Um, sort of turned on MX at the end and, and stayed with the party. So I didn't have to deal with the whole, what do I do when half the party goes? Uh, but he did go completely insane in the process. So while he won, he it was sort of this Cthuloid sort of winning. Yay. I stopped the bad guy, but I'm a gibbering idiot for the rest of my life. You know, uh, sort of a tragic win for, for some of them. Um, so yeah, it, it ended actually really well. I was, I was pleased with how it did all come together and I didn't have to use my backup plans for a lot of that stuff. So uh, but now I'm preparing for my next game, and it's actually this weekend, and I'm running Fate, and I'm running Aeon Wave. Yay! Which was written by the one and only Mike Shea. S- some jackass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, and it's, it's dual here. It's the first time um, I've actually even run Fate. So I'm not mm-hmm. only um, having to figure out how to run Aeon Wave – but I'm also having to having to learn how to figure out how to run Fate. Mm-hmm. I've read all of Aeon Wave, and I'm at about twenty percent on my PDF of Fate. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, not the PDF; it's I got the Kindle version. But um, what what do I need? Is to, it Fate? What, uh, you talking about Fate Core? Fate Core. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what do I need to know first of all? Uh, because I'm there's no way I'm going to finish reading that Fate book right <laughs> by right. by Saturday. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. what do I need to know about Fate? And how to run it, and what do I need to know to prepare to run Aeon Wave? Having uh, r- played in it when you ran mm-hmm. it at Gen Con a couple years ago, right, right. Um, so with Fate Core itself, there's a pretty good cheat sheet at the end of the book, mm-hmm. and you can download it. I think from their site. Yeah, I've seen that, and you, you had it on the back of the character sheets too. And I had it on the back. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. do the same and, thing. Yeah, so you can. What I would do is read, you know, read through that carefully and anything that you don't really get go back to the book and and read again okay um i, mean, I, I think i get it so far right um, there's a lot of sort of um I mean, there's, fate, there's, fate. there's a lot of things i understand but i'm not sure that i will i'm going to yeah. remember to do it yeah. properly like yeah. aspects yeah. Right. um and well uh, yeah and aspects aren't. and all that so so a lot of it's not hard and the things you think are going to be hard end up being really easy and vice versa, right? And and you know, I just ran a Fate Accelerated game mm-hmm. based on my Dungeons of Fate hack um, a week ago, a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, and um, uh, you know, they're they're just tricky bits with running Fate. Um, I'd say you know, one piece of advice if I that I might offer um, that you won't really read is make. Really empower and 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 put responsibility on the players to figure out how to compel themselves or how to mm-hmm. compel each other to keep the fate economy going. Because I find as a as a GM, I am way too busy to figure out how the hell to compel people. Yeah, and, or you or you do that the entire time. That's all you do. Yeah, and it's 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 yeah. hard to do that. But but if you say to them like you need you know. You're going to want to use your fate points and you're going to want to earn them back. And the way you earn them back is by putting yourself in hard situations. All you have to do is show me that you want to do that and, and you know, we'll make it work, mm-hmm. right? So Yeah, because I actually they, remember the one game that, that I played with you. Uh, 
Yeah, I the, sucked the, at the it. The compels happened very, very <laughs> seldom. I wasn't yeah, right. sucked at it, but it only yeah. it only came up like I don't know three, four times. Yeah, yeah. And, and you'll you know you can get the problem is like you can get better at it. You'll you know I'm 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 now remembering to do those and and offering things. But there, there's some kind of fourth editiony sort of things that you can do. So you can say like, are you willing to take a penalty on this next roll in order to get a fate point back? Mm-hmm. Right, like you you think this is going to be easy, but maybe you're so overconfident that you're doing it quickly because your you know? aspect was overconfident because your aspect is overconfident right. you know so you don't it doesn't always have to be this kind of story position it's nice if it is and, and but that's the the blending of story and mechanics with fate is actually kind of a harder part so if you treat them like negative action points right like you know you make you make him make that choice before the, they see the role though yeah Okay, because I because I could also yeah, I could otherwise also, they'll right yeah they'll wait till they 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 nailed a roll and then it's like oh I'll take a well, minus two based on yeah. my you know. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, you, you would you would want to do it before. You might say like you're going to be lower on the you know you're, you're going to knock yourself lower on the ladder, sure, or raise the ladder up by by doing it this way. Mm-hmm. So that that's you know figuring out compels is I think a really tough part that I've that I've run into. Um, Aspects are, are easy to run. I've never, you know, people are generally want to do them. And they, they, the, the weird thing about aspects is they almost don't matter. Like, you know, there's so many aspects at some points, right? Like each character has like five and then there might be two or three on the table at any given time. That's like eight. If somebody can't figure out how to invoke any one of eight aspects, they suck. <laughs> I mean, right? it's like, just a matter of creativity. But at the same, but, it, but it's not, you know, like you don't even uh, have to be that not, creative. But, right? it, but at the same well, time, it's, it, it's a it very is, different style that, of game than my players are used to. I mean, yeah. they, they've been playing D and D this whole time, and this is this is a, I mean, a little more storyish than they're used to doing. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know that that because I've actually started using, um, I've, I've been handing out the equivalent of fate points in Thirteenth Age for icon rolls, and it's the same way. Like, explain to me why your experience with the Lich King lets you get a plus two bonus on your next attack. Mm-hmm. And they explain it, you know, and sure. so it's I, I've I've generally not found that even even brand new players have a hard time. Uh, they know they want to spend those points and they say, like, can I spend this? And then you go through a negotiation saying, sure, how you know, which one of your aspects helps you in this situation? Sure. And they, they can come up with some some nonsense. And, it, and it, so that's actually very easy. Sam, you're going to say something. Well, I, I was just going to say that. Um, Think about it like this, you know, in a game like D&D, it's, it's even in, in a very like sandboxy open game or group, it's still the players doing things and the DM telling them here's the response of the world or the creature or the whatever to that thing. Fate is more like instead of being the person who always has all the answers, you are asking questions mm. as the GM. So think of, think about using the fate point economy and using aspects like that. Like I ran a, a Dresden Files game for four or five sessions, a little short campaign, and it took me three sessions to get used to like looking at aspects and having a list of their aspects in front of me and actually really making a point of compelling those aspects. But by that time, they had gotten good at it too and they were compelling each other and tagging each other and doing all kinds of different things. And so it's it's not going to happen probably in the first session. It's going to take a couple sessions. But if you just have the <laughs> you just think, have the mindset of like 
I'm, you know, I'm only planning a one shot. <laughs> no, I know, but I, I, I'm okay. saying like, but but this, this is my point though. That it's just think about it in your mind. Like your job is to also ask questions now, not just have answers. Right. And you're gonna make mistakes, and you're gonna forget half of them, and you're gonna feel like you did a clunky job of managing the fate point economy. But you're gonna do fine. Right. And you can't expect yourself to be absolutely perfect until you've ha- played it at least you know two or three times, or run at least two or three games. It's yeah. just not gonna happen. And and that actually, I say I'm I'm gonna run a one shot, but I I actually have. Played Plans to do another Fate game. Um, only the idea behind this one, I think, I think I've kind of floated it with you before, Mike, um, is the one that I want to go back to my one to thirty fourth edition campaign. Only this time, you know, they're the gods that their players bega- became, and so mm-hmm. run their characters through Fate as gods. Because I think Fate is the best system I've run into for playing gods. You know, but that involves creating an entire an entire game. Uh, it's sort of, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a little bit like you did, Mike, when you created Aeon Wave, right? It's it's a mm-hmm. little bit more guided than than the system gives you and sort of collaboratively work together and create a game, right? Because there's a specific story to tell in a specific setting and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. so that that can be that that's another thing that that I keep thinking on and churning on and whatever is you know how do I tell that story and how do I put together a fate game you know when I've only run one game of fate before, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So the and and you know you say like. You, you you know you have to run Aeon Wave and you have to figure out Fate at the same time and I suppose it's a fair bit of reading but Aeon Wave is really designed because I mean a I wrote it knowing not a whole lot about Fate sure. <laughs> and um it's it's really designed for a GM that may not be that experienced mm-hmm. and a and players who are not experienced at all although like it, 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 it is a different sheets. sort of adventure right you, you, I'm used you know d- gamers from other games are used to a certain kind yeah. of adventure right right Aeon Wave is right. here's the beginning. Here's yep. the end, right? And and here are the seven different things that happened in between in my playtest, you know, well, or may or may not have, right? Here's here's a whole bunch of locations, here's a whole bunch of NPCs. Mm-hmm. You figure it out. Yeah. Right? So yeah, and it was designed, you know, again, it was designed that way. It's designed yeah. to have like, you know, there's a clear beginning, there's a clear ending, and then there's you know some number of things that happen in between, um, and that and that can make it that can make it a little, you know, that can make it tough to run. Sure. I mean, I, that's I, that's the trick, right? Is that, okay? I know the beginning. I know the end. Yeah. How do I get from A to B? <laughs> well, you're gonna have yeah. You go with them, right? They 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 kind of choose the they choose the path, yeah. and then you you throw things in the way. Well, and that's part of the the design of fate, right? Is that that's supposed to be collaborative with the players and all that, right? Yeah, right. exactly. So, and that's yeah. why I say you need to ask questions because right. if your if your group isn't used to that type of back and forth to create the story, you have to prompt them by asking questions. Mm-hmm. How much time do you have? Do you have any kind of time limit or are you pretty open on time? Um, we usually start at noon and finish by 6.37. So, yeah, yeah. so the good news is that time-wise, because I've run that thing in like two or three hours. Well, so, and I've got character creation and teaching them the game and all that at the same yeah, time. Character right? creation is which one of these pages do you want? Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, roll some dice. And There's some aspects to figure out and uh, yeah, you yeah. Know, backgrounds and all that. Yeah, but I mean the whole – like I designed it so the whole thing would be playable in four hours. No, but at the same right? time, I'm also teaching them the game while yeah, they're doing right. character creation and all that. So that yeah. So I want to give I mean, myself like, plenty of time. It's nice yeah, – exactly. It's nice that you have that extra time. Yeah. So you're you're not fighting one other thing too. Right. <laughs> like how do we finish right. this? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'd say one mistake that I make with Fate, and this just comes from playing so much D anD D, is the constant need, the constant feeling that you want them to roll for things, mm. and and I think Fate kind of fits that dungeon world idea of they're empowered; they don't need to roll yeah, actually, for a lot of things. I actually, just read in one of the chapters I was reading today in the in the core Fate core book 
that um, the only time you, know, you can use the aspects as a guideline. The only time you need to have them roll right. something is when it it's, is when it deals with with the aspect. You know, if they're climbing the ladder and grabbing the the idol, I think it was the example they used. You don't need to roll roll that unless right. there's an aspect that says it's a rickety, about to fall apart rope ladder and yeah. an idol yeah. protected yeah. by by the energies of of evil. You know, or whatever. Right. right. Yeah, it's funny to me. Like they have the ladder, right? And the ladder is really your primary guide, and you don't even need to have it out there because it's you know a bunch of numbers. But mm-hmm. it's funny to me, like the the idea that it has a terrible, poor, me- and mediocre. Like I, I almost always eliminate those three. And if it's like if those are the bladder, if that's the the score that they're aiming for, they just do it. Oh sure. Like you know why why make them roll to see if they can beat a negative one? All right, because mm-hmm. at, the, at the point that they're failing at mediocre, they're not really the exceptional yeah, people they're supposed to be how anymore. Boring is that right. result, right? Like it wasn't hard, but you suck. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> so so starting with saying like the ladder is basically one to eight. And 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 even then, like ones should be not that often. Like one, you should only do a one if it's something they're not really good at. Okay. And then it's you know two to eight is pretty fair. And you know and and oftentimes there a two is not going to be tough given you know if they're using any attribute that they've got or any any skill that they've got that they're trained in and happen to have a stunt or are willing to throw in an aspect uh, a fate point, they should be able to hit even a two. So you know two is a good starting place. You know two to eight is a nice range yeah the standard is if you want if you want them to attempt something that they're gonna make make it a two and then and then if they roll you know if they roll really horrible um then something must have happened that completely like sidetracked them or changed their concentration or whatever that they you know like if they can't make a two they just aren't good right <laughs> you know and, and, something, and something had to happen don't waste their time on stuff below that Right, and and, that, and exactly that's my point. Like, so if they're you know if they only need to make a negative one, then why are you even you know that's not it. The two they're, is like the these are, minimum. These are skilled empowered people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, they, the reason why we're paying attention to them is not because they're mediocre. Right. We're paying right. attention because they're heroes, and their heroes can do things. So I'm almost out of time, but I, I I feel like I could spend an entire episode just going over um, how to make a game for the the idea I have for the the fourth edition mm-hmm. or the the fourth edition follow up mm-hmm. um, playing gods thing. So I'm gonna have to you know pick your pick your brain a bit over the next uh, probably next week as I start to put that together and get ready for that. So. Be ready for that. Unless you guys want to get together and do a special episode just helping me sure. build a fate game, you know. Yeah, you know <laughs> hey, that'd be I, cool. I, I love fate. Like you know, yeah. I love like Aeon Wave. I, I was really happy to happy to do it. I I loved running it. I loved writing it. And Dungeon Dungeons of Fate is my new kind of thing, which is how do you take fate and put it towards you know old school D and D adventures. Mm-hmm. And I've been having a ton of fun with that. So I'd love to talk more about well, it. Well, maybe next next week we'll we'll record a double. We'll get a double month of behind the DM screen where you guys awesome. can just sit down for a whole episode and help me build a fate game. That'd be awesome. Cool. So yeah, you have to release the March episode first. I do. <laughs> well, I was going to start working on it before we recorded tonight, and then you, I told you about computer issues, so I didn't. I don't. Yeah. I don't know if you have room to bring in another guest, but if there's some way to get like an actual honest to god pro. A pro fate person, that'd be great too. I thought we had you. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know the people. You let me know who needs to come. I'll, I'll see. All yeah. right, Fred Hicks. Just shoot him an email. Right. Yeah, yeah, see yeah. if Fred Hicks would be willing to come yeah. on and talk right about it. Cool. All right. Well, we are at like right at fifty-eight minutes, so we're gonna call it quits here. So, um, 
If anybody wants to get a hold of us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com and we can discuss some of your issues or DMing questions or what have you. You can call the voicemail line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. Uh, and we can, you know, then you can actually hear yourself on the air, so to speak. Woo! And we can we can address your your questions or queries or comments or whatever that way as well. Uh, I think that's all I have to say. Thanks, guys, for coming on, and thanks everybody out there for listening. If you want to support the show, go shopping at the go to the tomeshow.com and go shopping at Amazon or D and D Classics. Uh, we'll get some affiliate love that way, and and that gives us a, a little help along along the route. So, anything awesome. else? Nope. Nope. All right. Say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.